This is Climate Justice, y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. All right, y'all, it is season two of Climate Justice Y'all. Let's get started. My name is Cody Norad. I serve as the executive director of Georgia Interfaith Power and Light. Georgia Interfaith Power and Light has been around for over 17 years, working with faith communities, schools, nonprofits across Georgia on issues of climate change and environmental justice. That's amazing. So what got you started into this? Uh, like, use, I mean, how long have you been with Georgia IPL? Sure, it's it's a long story, I suppose, but I'll try to shorten it. Um, I grew up in Georgia. I'm a a Georgia native from LaGrange. Generations of my family lived there. And growing up, I, in high school, decided that I wanted to go and preach the gospel and be a pastor. I went to college to do that. And then the college sort of got drawn to the justice and ethics work and actually stopped uh, desiring to do parish ministry proper went on to do a master's at Emory University with a concentration in international peace building that focused on human rights. And so I was abroad actually in Belfast, Northern Ireland, doing some peace building work. And while I was there was when the Syrian refugee or migration crisis was happening, if you remember that. And when I was there, there was a group of people who were preparing to present at the United Nations a couple of proposals on how to deal with that crisis. And it was then that I realized that I'd been working on peace building for a long time and that um, we could continue doing peace building work and that was fine and well, it's a worthy cause and there's a need for peace builders. Um, but for me, I sort of recognized that a large amount of complex, violent or migratory in nature stem from resource depletion or resource mismanagement in part or in large part due to climate change. And so when I realized that and returned to the United States, I started thinking about what are ways to get involved in climate work. Um, that, that ultimately, if you wanted to get a peace building work, people need to be working on climate and came to work at Gipple as the Associate for Programs and Policy almost five years ago. I've been here ever since. Wow, that that's that's crazy. That's great, honestly. So I'm quite sure you know, like my my dad, Michael Malcolm. He is just as I've involved. heard of him. Right, right, right. <laughs> as, he's just as involved, very similar in kind of relating climate change and faith together. Um, but for those who don't know, can you kind of go over what's the intersection of climate change and faith? Um, and why should faith communities care about climate change? Yeah, I mean, you briefly mentioned it, and, right? but we would love for you to completely sure. outline what that would mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll speak from my own tradition first. I'm a Christian. I come from that tradition, though I work for an interfaith organization. And I could spend another two hours laying out, you know, a scriptural basis for why caring about creation is fundamental to what it means to love God and love neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. That the story starts with a commandment to care for the garden. And if you ask people what the commandments from God are and they start with 10, then they missed it because the beginning of the story gives one and it's to take care of the garden. Um, and throughout 
Christian scripture, the creative world is what gives um, worship and testimony to God throughout scripture. It's, it's the rocks that part and give water in the desert. It's the parting of the Red Sea to uh, allow the people of God to move out of Egypt. It's all of the parables are centered on environmental themes. And the end of the story in Revelation is the promise of a throne of God that spills out clean, fresh water for everyone. So the promise of God is the desire for clean water, clean air, clean forests for everyone. Um, deeper than that, though, is there isn't a major tradition that doesn't have the, the tenets of loving God and loving neighbor. And I would posit that it's impossible to do those things without caring about the environment. And the reason right. is because you know, the environment, climate change writ large, but also environmental injustices are impacting almost every community in the United States, especially across the Southeast. Um, and so if you're going to talk about caring for people, you've got to talk about caring for clean water and microplastics and sea level rise and community resilience and air pollution due to biomass and energy burden. People can't pay their electricity bills, so they're choosing between turning on the air conditioner in a 120 degree Very summer true. in Atlanta or buying their medicine. I mean, this is real for people. Very true. Mm -hmm. um, to quote Michael, you know, his, his, the big thing that he says that I steal all the time is, um, you know, if you really want to get towards solving climate change, you got to care about environmental justice. If you, if you solve the needs of the people, you'll solve the needs of the planet. A hundred percent. Yeah, so do you talk to faith communities that are climate deniers? Like, how do you, and if you do, sure. how do you not navigate those conversations? Because my poppy, he's a Baptist preacher, and it's one of those things that it seems like there's there's a disconnect right. for some reason. Sure. Or I've heard people say, oh, well, God will take care of it when it comes sure. to the climate crisis. And that can be so frustrating. And so do you talk to climate deniers and like, how do you how do you talk to them? You know, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, it's complicated, right? I mean, so first, you know, in Georgia at least, there's some twelve to fifteen thousand houses of worship. So, you think about the amount of land, the amount of people, the amount of energy, the amount of influence that that has. It's really significant. So, here at Gipple, I kind of say that we have um, our purpose is twofold in this regard. One is that we seek to equip congregations with the tools they need to run forward to do climate action and to work on issues of environmental justice. Congregations that get it, congregations that are dedicated to it, people of faith who understand how interwoven those commitments are with what it means to be alive and what it means to, to love God. The other piece of the coin is it's our job to educate folks, bring communities along who don't have any experience working on climate. Maybe they're climate deniers in, in one way, shape, form, or another. And so uh, to bring those people along, to join the movement, because if we had everybody we needed to win this movement, we would have already won. So there's some work that has to be done and bring communities along. Um, and the way that we do that, because I agree that, you know, the term climate change anyway is a pretty politicized and loaded term. Um, and oftentimes when people think about it, the first thing that they think about is a large trash heap in the middle of the ocean somewhere or a melting Arctic somewhere. And whether they believe it or not is sort of irrelevant because it's something very far away, something that it's really hard to wrap our head around. Right. Um, yeah. So often 
I don't even talk about climate change because to get people to to be mobilized to work on the issues that are stemming climate change, you you don't have to talk about it. What I like to talk about is um, is clean water, clean air, parks. People, whether they believe in climate or not, at the most fundamental level want their grandkids to have a park to play in or to be able to breathe without having asthma or you know they value the the river that runs through their community and they pull drinking water from and so the the way to get at climate for me is to deal with environmental injustices at the local level make people um realize that it isn't climate change happening in some faraway place or even at the state level. It's environmental injustices happening in your backyard. And most people care about those kind of things. And there's a way to pitch it in a way that isn't so partisan or politicized or uses some of the words that flare people up. But the true idea that, you know, what you're called to do is to dig your hands into the dirt and create the kingdom of God where you are, pull it down from heaven. Um, and the way to do that is to is to create this beautiful and blossoming world. Yeah, often people do talk about, you know, I mean, I've heard it said that, you know, you just, you leave it up to God, that God's gonna, God's gonna do it. Um, you know, and, and my response is that no one, no one believes that about evangelism or else we wouldn't do it. No one believes that God's just gonna do it. We're the mouthpieces and the hands and feet of a living God. And so the the commandment to not steal or to bear false witness that's that's not because god couldn't do it it's because we have to do something to bring about um god's presence in the world where that we're the mouthpieces and so the same is true for doing environmental justice and caring for the creative world wow i love how you put that because it sounds like you not all well, something that I think is valuable, how do I put this, is that you're ensuring that people are still being responsible and still also acknowledging the power of God per se. And I think that's really valuable. And the fact that you're also meeting people where they're at right. is something that I think a lot of people can learn from, especially like, you know, community organizers or politicians or anything. I mean, why, how can we expect people to act and do something to make their community safer with climate change if we aren't meeting them where they're at or talking about like the shared values that we have? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah well, we know because, uh, I mean, this is, is, is true on climate, but it's true on anything else is that people don't make decisions based on data or facts or science being thrown at them. They make decisions based on the stories and morals that ground their reality where they live and, and how they think and how they make meaning in the world. And so uh, religion is that tool, is the, is the way that people orient to making meaning in the world, whether they, they recognize that or not. Um, and so using the stories that we have in our traditions to point towards the truths that we know and must implement in our world is key to that. Well put, well put. I have a quick question. Have you ever gotten to the point where it's like, to hell with that? Like, okay, these people not understanding what I'm saying. I've tried to meet them where they're at. I've tried to incorporate religion. I've, I've tried my best and I, it's at this point, it's just like to hell with that. Have you ever gotten to this point? If so, like, how did you bring yourself back to keep going, to keep fighting? No pun intended, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, 
look around. I mean, there's plenty of people that that don't want to work on this issue. There are two to three senators, you know, at the U.S. level that could change the face of climate policy, but they don't have the courage. So it doesn't matter how many people knock on their door or how many people ask them to do it because it's some combination of a lack of courage and money from fossil fuel interests that keep them from doing that. And it's not worth our time to beat our head against a wall on that, right? So, you know, um, to get real Baptist, uh, you know, when Jesus wouldn't have good luck in a town, you know, the scripture says it's best to just dust your feet off and move on to the next town, not to waste your time, um, that there is fertile ground to be planted. And um, I think that's true. And it's not about giving up on people and that's not about condemning people, but it, it just might not be the right time. And people, there's only so much that you can do to um, bolster the fondness and kindness and love in a person's heart. You know, the hardened heart uh, is an individual's work. And there's only so much that we can do to combat that. And the more that we can do it, with love and grace, the better. But sometimes that means dusting your feet off and walking away and going to work with another community who's really interested in doing this work. Because there's no shortage of people who are interested in doing this work. There's no shortage of fertile ground where the seed of caring about these issues might grow and blossom into to a beautiful 200-year-old oak tree. There's no shortage of that. And so it's not worth pounding into the concrete for um, for people or for places that aren't, aren't wanting to do this work, you know, I'll say that um, it's it's people of faith working on these issues that have both the responsibility to practically where they are, do what they can for climate to make tangible choices, both individually and community wide on how to implement practical climate solutions and live into these commitments and also to hold decision makers to account, to hold elected officials to account to hold uh, decision makers and stakeholders to account, to call out um, the conflict and interest that they have, to call out the facts that they're condemning their own communities. And that's that's our job is to stand in the public squ square and bear witness to the truth. And the truth is there are a lot of people who are intentionally destroying the world for their own gain. That's wow. just you gave me chills. Yeah, that touch, yeah. that touch right there. That touch home. <laughs> so, okay. You were talking about fertile ground and planting there. I would love to talk more about like what members of the faith community can do about climate change since this is an expansive issue and it can seem very convoluted and For complex sure. and... So what do you think that members of the faith community can do about climate change, like tangibly speaking? You can go as small or as wide as possible. For sure. Sure, we'll start from the from the ground and we'll, and we'll build up, you know. I mean, this is a podcast related to sin and, uh, you know, what we all bear in common is that we build power from the grassroots. This is what we do. Uh, we're grassroots organizers. And so the first step of this whole process as a faith community. And what we do is try to stand up green teams or sustainability teams, three or more individuals who wanna work on climate solutions in their local congregation or their local community. And you hear all the time, the most important thing that you can do about climate change is to talk about it. Get some friends together, talk about it, start thinking about what possible solutions might be possible. Think about what you're interested in, galvanize around your energy. And once you're organized, then there's a whole host of things that you can do. You know, you, we, um, 
we have programs related to both conservation and energy. So, you know, it's uh, energy efficiency, it's pursuing solar, both on residential homes and congregations. It's implementing EV charging stations. It's thinking about how you purchase. So if you're in a faith community, what are the kinds of regulations or commitments that you have around catering? What kind of cleaning supplies do you buy to clean your nursery? Who is um, catering food for a funeral or a wedding? What's your waste system look like? Uh, Again, I said 12 to 15,000 houses of worship across Georgia. I mean, what are you doing with your land? Is it grass? Is that the best use of congregational land and funds is to mow grass all the time? Or is there a way to create uh, a living edible landscape that the community can use to meet their needs? Or could you put in a solar farm or could you plant trees to build a land sink? How, you know, my request of every person of faith is to dig deep into their creativity that God has given them. And, and live within that. So you organize at the grassroots level. There are these practical climate solutions that individuals can do and congregations can do. Um, but ultimately, we know that we have to look towards the systemic, that ultimately what it takes is people of faith and communities of faith coming together to push their local, state, and federal policymakers to make better choices and to invest in just climate policies that benefit the people that are facing the brunt of climate change the most um, and rapidly expand those sectors. And so those are some of the things that people of faith can be doing. I'll say again, you know, that, that gets at the political structures that are secular, but also um, we forget about denominations a little bit and the power of denominations. And so communities of faith can also push their denominations to divest their endowments from fossil fuels. They can push their denominations to have um, creation and climate and environmental justice conversations be a core part of what it means to be in that faith community. Um, they can push their denominations and their faith traditions to incorporate structures, bylaws, policies, resolutions that dedicate themselves to these things. Um, there's power in numbers. And so you start with your own community and see who you can get and how far we can go. And I think there's a huge opportunity for faith communities to reclaim their prophetic imagination and what this can look like, because we'll never have the money that we need, but we'll always have the creativity that we've been called and given. And that is, um, that's our mission. That's our, that's our created tool that we can use to create change. Cody, you have definitely found your calling. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard that before, but like, the answers that you give, the way that you respond, the way that you connect climate, tangibility, climate change, um, faith, all of that, the way that you can connect those things and just make it sound so relatable to the point where like, I haven't been in this long, but I could answer a lot of those questions just off of the top of my head because of how relatable and tangible those answers were. Um, I guess since we're coming to the, you're, you're so welcome. Can I make a comment real quick? Yeah. Yeah, I love how intentional every step of like how to relate, like what faith communities right. can do about climate change. I love how intentional it is. And I love how you're suggesting that people start with literally the ground under their feet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you're, and you're a process. You sound like a process type of guy. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in a sense, I also, I mean, you bring, you bring up a really great point about how it doesn't matter if you don't have money as long as you have creativity. Mm -hmm. That I really want to uplift that statement. And so, 
Yeah, th- I just, you know, for Marisha and I, thank you so much for all of this. Yes, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess since we're kind of wrapping it up here, I guess we could end it off on a very great note. Um, what gives you hope to keep going, to keep doing what you do? What, what gives you hope? That's a really good question. Um, there's a lot in the world that makes it hard to be a human being right now. There's the climate crisis. There's a number of conflicts around the world. And locally, there is uh, rampant discrimination and racism. There is intense polarization on the political spectrum that has ground the systems as we know it to a halt. And it is easy to be paralyzed by that reality and to give up. And I think that's what the system wants. The system is designed to be complicated, complex, burdensome, so that it might steal and sap the energy out of everyday people so that they don't know what to do and they don't have the energy to push against it in any way. And so- Yes, Cody. Yes, Cody. (laughs) So what gives me hope is um, all the wonderful people who inspire me every day to keep doing this work, the people who are alongside of me. I mean, there are so many people in the SIN community, especially um, in the IPL network, in the US CAN network, who I look to and know that they are alongside of me and I'm lucky enough to walk alongside of them and in most cases, follow behind them on the, on the trails that they have paved before us. Um, You know, I think what gives me hope and what I would give to everybody is that, um, you know, I'm I'm in the Christian faith, so I'll take a point of privilege to speak from that perspective for a moment. Um, Either you believe that there is a God who walked into death and brought themselves out of it. It's it's the season of Lent right now. there is a God that walked into death and conquered it and arose again to demonstrate that it's impossible for the empire to kill love, that it's impossible for the empire to destroy community organizing and creativity and art and beauty. And that no matter how hard you try to cut the tree, that the stump of Jesse, that there, that there is a root that it will regrow itself, that the drumbeat of protest and justice uh, can't be silenced at any point, that you could diminish it, you could try to put it in a box, but the chains will be broken. That's the promise. And so um, the promise is that as hard as it may seem, as dark as it may seem, that the promise is that it cannot stay. And, and I'm encouraged by the people who spend their entire lives fighting against that to make sure that it, um, that the light prevails and that there's hope for communities and that communities can thrive and live and breathe clean air and drink clean water and celebrate in the sunshine. I mean, that's the, that's the hope. And so I'm encouraged by you all. I'm encouraged by the network. I'm encouraged by the communities who are rising up with their creativity and with their purpose and with their prophetic voice to challenge the utilities and the elected officials who are hell bent on being greedy instead of being compassionate. 
and that's the work before us. Thank you for bringing us to church, Pastor Cody. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you. And thank you from people at SIN, which by the way, listeners, it's not SIN like S-I-N, it's S-C-E-N. Very important distinction. Very important distinction. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Cody. Cody, for the people who who like don't know how to reach you or whatnot, um, can you give them a bit more information? Where can they reach you? What some things you got coming up? Yeah, just tell them a little bit more. Absolutely. Happy to. So you can reach us. Our website is www.gipl.org. You can email me directly at C-O-D-I at gipl.org and i'm happy to get back with you i think the most exciting thing that we have is on may 7th we are for the first time in two years able to host our in-person green team summit where we're going to be bringing across faith leaders and people of faith from all across the state of georgia and all across the southeast to learn about uh climate and how to be activists in that regard we're also launching our congregational faith and climate justice voter campaign here in Georgia, our get out the vote campaign, um, because we believe that transparency and voting is linked to climate action and effective climate policy. Um, so we'll have uh, speakers, Briante McCorkle and Juan Smith from Georgia Conservation Voters. We will have the EPA Region 4 Director Daniel Blackman on for an interview as well as a bunch of training. So if you're interested, again, that's May 7th. You can find that information on our workshop, uh, on our website and happy to uh, have you, would love to.